What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey sis, welcome back to Girl Goodnight. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into the show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading Poe Sandy, written by Charles W. Chestnut in 1888. Charles Waddell Chestnut, born in 1858, was an African-American author, essayist, political activist, and lawyer. Although he identified as African-American, he was primarily of European descent and was able to pass for a white man. At the age of nine, Chestnut and his family moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina, where he would eventually become the second principal of the Howard School, now known as Fayetteville State University, a historically black university. In 1887, Chestnut passed the bar exam in Ohio and started a court reporting business, which was his primary source of income. From then, he began writing, and two of his books were adapted into silent films in 1926 and 1927 by Oscar Michel, an African-American director and producer. Chestnut also served as a general committee member of the NAACP and contributed short stories and essays to its publication, The Crisis. Charles Chestnut died on November 15, 1932, at the age of 74. In 2008, Chestnut's legacy was memorialized when the United States Postal Service featured him on the 31st stamp in the Black Heritage Stamp series. Poe Sandy, the second story in the volume, The Conjure Woman, was published in the Atlantic Monthly in 1888. 
The story is set in post-Civil War North Carolina, where a white northern family has recently acquired an old plantation. One day, the wife decides that she wants a kitchen built, and the husband decides to use wood from an old abandoned building that's already on the plantation. As Uncle Julius McAdoo, see the Goofer Grapevine story for more about him, assist the husband in acquiring more wood for the kitchen. He shares a curious yet chilling story of the old building and why he doesn't like the sawmill. Due to the period in which this story was written, it contains racially offensive language. To preserve the integrity of the story and the author's intent, the language will be read as it is written. Please be advised. Now, Close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Poe Sandy On the northeast corner of my vineyard in central North Carolina, and fronting on the Lumberton Plank Road, there stood a small frame house of the simplest construction. It was built of pine lumber and contained but one room to which one window gave light and one door admission. Its weather-beaten sides revealed a virgin innocence of paint. Against one end of the house and occupying half its width, there stood a huge brick chimney. The crumbling mortar had left large cracks between the bricks. The bricks themselves had begun to scale off in large flakes, leaving the chimney sprinkled with unsightly blotches. These evidences of decay were but partially concealed by a creeping vine, which extended its slender branches hither and thither in an ambitious but futile attempt to cover the whole chimney. The wooden shutter, which had once protected the unglazed window, had fallen from its hinges and lay rotting in the grass and jimson weeds beneath. This building, I learned when I bought the place, had been used as a schoolhouse for several years prior to the breaking out of the war, since which time it had remained unoccupied, save when some stray cow or vagrant hog had sought shelter within its walls from the chill rains and nipping winds of the winter. One day, my wife requested me to build her a new kitchen. The house erected by us when we first came to live upon the vineyard contained a very conveniently arranged kitchen, but for some occult reason, my wife wanted a kitchen in the backyard apart from the dwelling house after the usual southern fashion. Of course, I had to build it. To save expense, I decided to tear down the old schoolhouse and use the lumber, which was in a good state of preservation, in the construction of the new kitchen. Before demolishing the old house, however, I made an estimate of the amount of material contained in it and found that I would have to buy several hundred feet of lumber additional in order to build the new kitchen according to my wife's plan. One morning, old Julius McAdoo, our colored coachman, harnessed the gray mare to the rockway and drove my wife and me over to the sawmill from which I meant to order the new lumber. We drove down the long lane which led from our house to the plank road. Following the plank road for about a mile, we turned into a road running through the forest and across the swamp to the sawmill beyond. Our carriage jolted over the half-rotted corduroy road which traversed the swamp and then climbed the long hill leading to the sawmill. When we reached the mill, 
The foreman had gone over to a neighboring farmhouse, probably to smoke or gossip, and we were compelled to await his return before we could transact our business. We remained seated in the carriage a few rods from the mill and watched the leisurely movements of the mill hands. We had not waited long before a huge pine log was placed in position, the machinery of the mill was set in motion, and the circular saw began to eat its way through the log with a loud whir which resounded throughout the vicinity of the mill. The sound rose and fell in a sort of rhythmic cadence, which, heard from where we sat, was not unpleasing and not loud enough to prevent conversation. When the saw started on its second journey through the log, Julius observed in a lugubrious tone and with a perceptible shudder, Ugh, but that this dude caught in my blood. What's the matter, Uncle Julius? inquired my wife, who is of a very sympathetic turn of mind. Does the noise affect your nerves? No, Miss Annie, replied the old man with emotion. I ain't nervous. But that saw cutting and grinding through that stick of timber and moaning and groaning and squeaking carries my members back to old times and minds me of post-Sandy. The pathetic intonation with which he lengthened out the post-Sandy touched a responsive chord in our hearts. And who was poor Sandy? Asked my wife, who takes a deep interest in the stories of plantation life, which she hears from the lips of the older colored people. Some of these stories are quaintly humorous, others wildly extravagant, revealing the oriental cast of the Negro's imagination, while others poured freely into the sympathetic ear of a northern-bred woman, disclose many a tragic incident of the darker side of slavery. Sandy, said Julius in reply to my wife's question, was a nigger what used to loan the old Mass Marable McSwain. Mass Marable place was on the other side of the swamp, right next to your place. Sandy was a monstrous good nigger and could do so many things about the plantation and always tended his work so well that when Mass Marable's children growed up and married off, they all of them wanted their daddy for to give them Sandy for a wedding present. But Mass Marable know the rest of wouldn't be satisfied if he gave Sandy to one of them. So when they was all done married, he fixed it by allowing one of his children to take Sandy for a month or so, and then another one for a month or so, and so on that away until they all had him some like a time, and then they would all take him round again, except once in a while when Mass Maribel would lend him to some of his other kinfolk around the country when they were short on their hands, till by and by it got sold till Sandy didn't hardly know where he was going to stay from one weekend to another. One time when Sandy was lent out as usual, a speculator come along with a lot of niggas, and Mass Marable swapped Sandy wife out for a new one. When Sandy come back, Mass Marable gave him a dollar and Lottie was monstrous sorry for the break up the family, but the speculator had given him a big boot, and times was hard and money scarce, and so he was blessed to make the trade. Sandy took on something by losing his wife, but he soon see there was no use in crying over spilt molasses, and mean as he liked the looks of the new woman, he took up with her after she'd been on the plantation a month or so. Sandy and his new wife got on mighty well together, and the niggas all meant to talk about how loving they was. When Tinny was to took sick on set, Sandy used to sit up all night with her, then go to work in the morning just like he had his regular sleep and Tinny would have done anything in the world for her Sandy. 
Sandy and Tinny had been living together for more than two months for a Massa Maribel old uncle who lived down in Robeson County sent up to find out if Massa Maribel couldn't let him hire him a good man for about a month or so. Sandy's Massa was one of these year easygoing folks who would want to please everybody and said yes, he could lend him Sandy. And Massa Maribel told Sandy for to get ready to go down to Robeson the next day for to stay a month or so. It was monstrous hard on Sandy for to let him take away from Tinny. It was so far down to Robinson that he ain't had no chance of coming back to see her till the time was up, and he wouldn't have mind coming 10 to 15 miles at night to see Tinny, but Master Marvel's uncle's plantation was more than 40 miles off. Sandy was mighty sad and cast down after what Master Marvel told him, and he says to Tinny says, I'm getting monster tired of this year going around so much. Here I is, went to Master Jeans this month, and I gotta go do so-and-so, and the Master Archer the next month, and I gotta go do so-and-so. Then I gotta go to Miss Jenny's, and hit Sandy's, and Sandy that, and Sandy here, and Sandy that, till it appears to me I ain't got no home, no Master, no Missus, no nothing. I can't even keep a wife. My other old woman was so away without me getting a chance for to tell her goodbye, and now I got to go off and leave you, Tinny. I don't know when I'm ever going to get to see you again or no. I wish I was a tree, or a stump, or a rock, or something could stay on the plantation for a while. After Sandy got through talking, Tinny didn't say now word, but just sat there by the fire, studying and studying. By and by, she up and said, Sandy? Is I ever told you I was a conjure woman? Cause Sandy had never dreamt of nothing like that. And he made a great miration when he heard what Tinny had to say. By and by, Tinny went on. I ain't good for nobody and I done no conjure work for 15 years or more. And when I got religion, I made up my mind I wasn't gonna do no more goofer. But there is some things I don't believe it's a sin for the do. And if you don't want to be sent around from pillar to post, and if you don't want to go down to Robinson, I can fix things so you won't have to. If you just say the word, I can turn you whatever you want to be, and you can stay right where you want it as long as you mind her. Sandy say he don't care. He's willing for to do anything for to stay close to Tinny. Then Tinny asks him if he don't want to be turned into a rabbit. Sandy say, no, the dogs might get after me. Shall I turn you into a wolf, says Tinny. No, everybody's scared of wolf, and I don't want nobody to be scared of me. Shall I turn you into a mockingbird? No, a hawk might to catch me. I want to be turned into something that'll stay in one place. I can turn you into a tree, says Tinny. You won't have no mouth nor ears. But I can turn you back once in a while so you can get something to eat and hear what's going on. Well, Sandy say that'll do. And so Tinny took him down by the edge of the swamp, not far from the quarters, and turned him into a big pine tree and set him out amongst the other trees. And the next morning, as some of the field hens was going along there, they see the tree what they didn't remember having seen there before. It was Monster Square and they was bleached aloud they hadn't remembered right or else one of the saplings had been growing monstrous fast. When Mass Maribel discovered that Sandy was gone, he allowed Sandy had run away. He got the dogs out, but the last place they could track Sandy was the foot of that old pine tree. 
and there the dog stood and barked and bayed and pawed at the tree and tried to climb up on it. And when they was took round through the swamp to look for the scent, they broke loose and made for that tree again. It was the beatingest thing the white folks ever heard of, and Mass and Maribel lied that Sandy must have climbed up the tree and jumped off on a mule or something and rid off far enough for the smile to scent. Mass and Maribel wanted to cuss some of the other niggas for helping Sandy off, but they all nodded to the last, and everybody know Tenny thought too much for Sandy for to help him run away where she could never see him no more. When Sandy had been gone long enough for the folks to think he done got clean away, Tenny used to go down to the woods at night and turn them back, and they'd slip up to the cabin and sit by the fire and talk. But they had to be monster careful, as somebody would have seen them, and that would have spoiled the whole thing. So Tenny always turned Sandy back in the morning early before anybody was astirring. But Sandy didn't get along without his trials and tribulations. One day, a woodpecker came along and missed a peck at the tree, and the next time Sandy was turned back, he had a little round hole in his arm that looked like a sharp stick been stuck in it. After that, Tenny saw the sparrowhawk for to watch the tree, and when the woodpecker come along the next morning for to finish his nest, he got gobbled up most for he stuck his bill in the bark. Another time, Mass Marble sent a nigga out in the woods for the chopped turpentine boxes. The man chopped a bark and dish a tree and hacked the bark up two or three feet for to let the serpentine run. The next time Sandy was turned back, he had a big scar on his left leg that looked like the skin been burnt. And it took Tenny now about all night for to fix a mystery to care it up. After that, Tenny saw the haunted for to watch the tree, and when the nigga come back again after for to cut another box on another side of the tree, the haunted stuck him so hard that he had slipped and cut his foot now by off. When Tenny sees so many things happening to the tree, she alluded she had to turn Sandy into something else, and after studying the matter over and talking with Sandy one evening, she made her mind up for the fix a goofer mixture where to turn herself and Sandy to foxes or something so they could run away and go somewhere they could be free and live like white folks. But there ain't no telling what's going to happen in this world. Tenny had got the night sought for her and Sandy to run away when that very day one of Master Maribel's son ran up to the big house in his buggy and say his wife was monstrous sick and he wanted his mammy to lend him a woman for to nurse his wife. Tenny's mistress say send Tenny, she was a good nurse. Young Master was in a terrible hurry for to get back home. Tenny was washing at the big house that day and her mistress say she should go right along with her young Master. Tenny tried to make some excuse to get away and hide till night when she would have everything fixed up for her and Sandy. She said she want to go to her cabin for to get her bonnet. Her mister said it don't matter about the bonnet. Her head handkerchief was good enough. Then Tenny said she wanted to get her best frock. Her mistress said no, she don't need no more frock. And when that one got dirty, she could get a clean one where she was going. So Tenny had to get in the buggy and go along with young Master Duncan to his plantation, which was more than 20 miles away, and there wasn't no chance of her seeing Sandy no more till she come back home. The poor gal felt monstrous bad about the way things was going on, and no Sandy must have been wondering why she ain't come turning back no more. While Tenny was away nursing young Master Duncan's wife, Master Marble took a notion for to build him a new kitchen and being he had lots of timber on his place, he began to look around for a tree to have the lumber sawed out him. And I don't know how it come to be so, but he happened for the head on the very tree where Sandy was turned into. Tenny was gone, 
and there wasn't nobody, nothing for the watch over the tree. The two men what cut the tree down say they never had such a time with a tree before. They axes were glanced off and didn't appear to make no progress through the wood and all the creaking and shaking and wobbling you ever did see, that tree done it and when it commenced to fall, it was the beatenest thing. When they got the tree all trimmed up, they chained it to the timber wagon and started for the sawmill. But they had a hard time getting a log there. First, they got stuck in the mud when they was going across the swamp and it was two or three hours before they could get it out. When they started on again, the chain kept coming loose and they had to keep stopping and stopping for the hitch the log up again. When they commenced to climb the hill to the sawmill, the log broke loose and rolled down the hill in most trees and it took about half a day or more to get it hauled up to the sawmill. The next morning after the day the tree was hauled to the sawmill, Tina come home. When she got back to her cabin, the first thing she did was to run down to the woods and see how Sandy was getting on. When she see the stump standing there, with the sap running out of it and the limbs laying scattered around, she now about went out of her mind. She run to her cabin and get her goofa mixture and then followed the track of the timber wagon to the sawmill. She knows Sandy couldn't live more than a minute or so if she turned him back, but he was all chopped up and so he'd have been blessed to death. But she wanted to turn him back long enough for her to explain to him that she hadn't went off a purpose and left him to be chopped down and sawed up. She didn't want Sandy to die with no hard feelings towards her. The hands at the sawmill had that got the big log on the carriage and was starting to run up the saw when they see the woman running up the hill, all out of breath, crying and going on like she was plumb distracted. It was Tinny. She come right into the mill and throwed herself on the log right in front of the saw, a hollering and crying to her Sandy to forgive her and did not think hard on her forever for it wasn't no fault of her own. Then Tinny remembered the tree didn't have no ears and she was getting ready for the work of goofa mixture so as to turn Sandy back when the mill hand caught hold her and tied her arms with a rope and fastened her to one of the posts in the sawmill and they started up the saw again and cut the log up in the bowls and scantlings right before her eyes. But it was mighty hard work for all the squeaking and moaning and groaning that log done whilst the saw was a cutting through it. The saw was one of those the old-timey up-and-down saws, and it took longer than days to saw a log than it do now. They greased the saw, but that didn't stop the fuss. It kept right on till finally they got the log all sawed up. When the overseer would run the sawmill come from breakfast, the hands tell him about the crazy woman they supposed she was, would have come running in the sawmill, hollering and going on, and tried to throw herself before the saw. And the overseer sent two or three hands for to take Tinny back to her master plantation. Tinny appeared to be out of her mind for a long time, and her master had to lock her up in the smokehouse till she got over her spells. Master Maribel was monstrous mad, and it would have made your flesh crawl for to hear him cuss, cause he say to speculate what he got Tinny from and fooled him by working a crazy woman off on him. While Tinny was locked up in the smokehouse, Mass Maribel took and hauled the lumber from the sawmill and put up his new kitchen. When Tinny got quiet down so she could be allowed to go around the plantation, she up and told her master all about Sandy and the pine tree. And when Mass Maribel heard it, he lied she was the worst distracted nigga he ever heard of. He didn't know what to do with Tinny. First he thought he put her in the poe house, but finally, seeing that she didn't do no harm to nobody or nothing. 
but just went round moaning and groaning and shaking her head. He clued to let her stay on the plantation and nurse the little nigger children when they mammies was to work in the cotton field. The new kitchen Mas Maribel built wasn't much use, for it hadn't been put up long before the niggas missed to notice queer things about it. They could hear some moaning and groaning about the kitchen in the nighttime, and when the wind would blow, they could hear some hollering and squeaking like it was in great pain and suffering. And it got so at the wild that it was all Mass Marable's wife could do to get a woman to stay in the kitchen in the daytime long enough to do the cooking. And there wasn't no nigga on the plantation but wouldn't rather take photo than to go about that kitchen at the dark. That is, Septentini. She didn't appear to mind the hat. She used to slip round at night and sit on the kitchen steps and lean up against the jam and run on to herself with some kind of foolishness what nobody could make out. First, Miss Marble had threatened to send her off the plantation if she say anything to any of the other niggas about the pine tree. But somehow or another, the niggas found out all about it, and they all know the kitchen was haunted by Sandy Spirit. And by and by, it got so Miss Marable's wife herself was scared to go out in the yard after dark. When it come to that, Master Marble took and towed the kitchen down and used the lumber for to build that old schoolhouse what you talking about pulling down. The schoolhouse wasn't in use except in the daytime, and on dark nights, folks going down the long road would hear queer sounds and see queer things. Poe Tinny used to go down there at night and wander around the schoolhouse, and the niggas all loud she went for to talk with Sandy Spirit. And one winter morning, when one of the boys went to school early for to start the fire, what should he find but poor old Tinny laying on the floor, stiff and cold and dead. There didn't appear to be nothing particular the matter with her. She had just grieved herself to death for her Sandy. Mas Marble didn't shed no tears. He thought Tinny was crazy, and there wasn't no telling what she might do next. And there ain't much room in this world for crazy white folks, let alone a crazy nigga. It wasn't long after that before Master Maribel sold a piece of his track of land to Master Dougal McAdoo, my old master, and that's how the schoolhouse happened to be on your place. When the war broke out, the school stopped, and then the schoolhouse been staying in empty air since. That is, something for the hauntings. And folks says that the old schoolhouse or any other house what got a lumber in it, what was sawed out in that tree what Sandy was turned into, is gonna be haunted till the last piece of plank is rotted and crumbled in the dust. Annie had listened to this gruesome narrative with strained attention. What a system it was, she exclaimed when Julius had finished, under which such things were possible. What things, I asked in amazement. Are you seriously considering the possibility of a man's being turned into a tree? Oh no, she replied quickly, not that. And then she murmured absently and with a dim look in her fine eyes. Poor Tinny. We ordered the lumber and returned home. That night, after we had all gone to bed, and my wife had to all appearances been sound asleep for half an hour, she startled me out of an incipient doze by exclaiming suddenly, John, I don't believe I want my new kitchen built out of the lumber in that old schoolhouse. You wouldn't for a moment allow yourself, I replied with some asperity, to be influenced by that absurdly impossible yarn which Julius was spinning today. I know the story is absurd, she replied dreamily, and I'm not so silly as to believe it, but I don't think I should ever be able to take any pleasure in that kitchen if it were built out of that lumber. 
Besides, I think the kitchen would look better and last longer if the lumber were all new. Of course she had her way. I bought the new lumber, though not without grumbling. A week or two later, I was called away from home on business. On my return, after an absence of several days, my wife remarked to me, John, there has been a split in the Sandy Run Colored Baptist Church on the temperance question. About half the members have come out from the main body and set up for themselves. Uncle Julius is one of the seceders, and he came to me yesterday and asked if they might not hold their meetings in the old schoolhouse for the present. I hope you didn't let the old rascal have it, I returned with some warmth. I had just received a bill for the new lumber I had bought. Well, she replied, I couldn't refuse him the use of the house for so good a purpose. And I'll venture to say, I continued, that you subscribe something towards the support of the new church. She did not attempt to deny it. What are we going to do about the ghosts? I asked, somewhat curious to know how Julius would get around this obstacle. Oh, replied Annie. Uncle Julius says that ghosts never disturb religious worship, but that if Sandy's spirit should happen to stray into meeting by mistake, no doubt the preaching would do it good. Are you still up? Girl, good night. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.